Hi, I'm Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. You are listening to the Carrera Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Joel Wong. Dr. Wong is a professor of counseling psychology in the School of Education at Indiana University. He is a fellow of the American Psychological Association and of the Asian American Psychological Association. Joel conducts research on the science of gratitude interventions and practices. Hi, Joel. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us about your work in transforming the power of gratitude in your personal life? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I have been studying the science of gratitude for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, this is obviously a topic that isn't solely of scientific interest. It has uh, immense personal applications. Um, and so it's really fascinating for me to, to watch how the work and the research I do and what I'm learning um, has been and can be applied in tandem with um, what's going on in my personal life. Um, so it's, and it, it's, it's just interesting because what I learned in my personal life, I use it to formulate hypotheses and research. And then what I read in the literature, I start applying my personal life. So it goes back and forth. So this is me give you a few practical examples. Um, for years, I have been, um, maintaining, um, uh, the practice of daily gratitude journaling. And, and that's really been one of the best investments I've personally made in my uh, mental health and well-being and it's only five minutes a day it's free I I strongly recommend it to everyone uh, not just think good thoughts but actually write it yeah um, and that's really been helpful to me I, I found it over time it changes the way I think you know um, and of course we're finding in our research that the practice of gratitude changes your brain processes too so this is not just psychological there's something neurological that happens too um, that gets it's, it's really exciting so so the practice of gratitude has been really um, kind of daily gratitude practice has been has been very powerful in my personal life i can go on and on and on about other personal applications but they'll come up over time i love it because i've been lis listening to uh like the happiness podcast and they do a yeah. lot of gratitude practices on there too and yeah. um and on on that podcast i learned uh, like research driven that the practice of gratitude daily can increase um, just or can decrease depression and increase performance. And it, and it just has like so many positive benefits. So yeah. when I was yeah. reading through your bio today and, and, you know, preparing these questions, I was really excited to hear about your work and your, um, your practices. So yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, for for many people this might be new like so gratitude you know i i didn't know that people went out and researched so, like something like gratitude um and it was it was cool because when as an as an alumnus from indiana university i get their alumni magazine and then i then i saw your you know i, um, I saw your article or the or or the article about you and i was like Wow, this is fascinating, especially now. Well, it's, it's, I mean, we, we, I think we should have been practicing this for years and years and years, but especially now with, with everything that's going on. So, yeah. so what was your motivation? How did you 
become involved to one day say, hey, I want to study gratitude. Yeah, I wish I have a very, very dramatic <laughs> story to share, but it's a lot more pragmatic and boring, <laughs> practical. Um, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll be very upfront. Um, you know, my work in gratitude has been sort of somewhat more recent. Um, it, it, it wasn't the, 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 the main areas of, of work that I, I was doing um, when, when I graduated um, with, with my PhD. So traditionally, a lot of if you look at some of my previous work, I've done a lot of work on the psychology of men and masculinities. And um, that's the work that I continue to do a little bit of. And um, I've also done work on Asian American mental health, uh, particular suicide-related outcomes. So it's very, very different from the work of gratitude. Now, I've, I've always had a, some, a somewhat kind of a personal interest in gratitude. You know, um, it's not really a research interest, more of a personal interest. You know, um, just find something interesting and helpful. And then uh, there was a, a call for a grant to study. Um, gratitude um, by the it was funded by the Templeton Foundation and organized by the Greater Good um, Science Center. It's perhaps the camera the exact year, 2013, um, 2012, maybe. And um, you know, I I looked at my work and I said, just just there's no way I can get this grant, but you know, what do I have to lose? Just try and see what happens. I called my friend, um, colleague in the uh, psychological and brain sciences departments at IU and you know Josh Brown and say hey you know this is call proposal I don't think either of us have ever done any work on gratitude but you know what what how do you feel about can you recommend someone who might be a partner with me you know maybe look at the neuro neurological processes I'll look at the psychological processes and he says yeah, I, don't, I don't know I'll, I'll do it with you so so we decided to to put together a proposal and lo and behold, we got it. I, it was just like, there were 2% of, of applicants who got this grant. And I, wow. I, I was blown away. Uh, it, you know, I, I wish I can claim that it was because I have a lot of expertise or experience, but I don't, you know. I, I can't quite explain how we got it. Uh, but there was a turning point in my work. So it's kind of like you get into it. You know, you do it, and the more I delve into it, the more I was like, "This is good stuff." You know, so so it's it's really a very pragmatic and practical angle. You know, there's there's a call for proposal. They give you some grant money. Looks interesting. You get it. And the more I got into it, the more um, the more I found this to be immensely meaningful. And and I realized it's a topic that uh, a lot of lay people um, are very interested in. And I'll just say one last thing. My, my background is that of a counseling psychologist, oh. which now I'm trained as a therapist. Um, you know, I, I teach, I don't currently practice therapy, but I teach um, my students, train my students to, to, to do therapy. And so I continue to keep up with my skills. Um, and, and, and I feel like maybe um, there's a unique angle that I bring because uh, the vast majority of psychologists who study gratitude are, are, are social psychologists. And um, what I found was that they're really, really good with um, the experimental designs and uh, the theories and the theoretical models. But 
where I feel like I can contribute is the practical angle. Mm-hmm. How do you apply this to your lives? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's that's kind of where my, my, my focus or my niche is is shifting uh, towards you know gratitude interventions and, and practices um, in a way that's very accessible to lay people. Sure, and that's and and we're gonna we're gonna ask that. Yeah. But I'm 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 fascinated uh, because for I was I was asked to to when I was a professor to actually teach courses about brain research in schools, and yeah. so it's the it's so I so I'm, I'm fascinated. What what neurological types of things because you because you mentioned it. What are some of the findings that um, scientists are finding about about gratitude and 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 how that affects a person's brain? Okay, we'll probably have to edit this part because I need to pull out the article that we are that we did. Um, so give me a minute as um, as we talk. The reason why I don't have it at the top of my at the tip of my tongue <laughs> is because. Um, <laughs> uh, hang on, give me a minute. That's Fred going rogue. That's okay. Right. No, 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 this no, happens. No, it's okay. That's no, a very legitimate. Uh, um, question it's uh, really really truly legitimate legitimate it's just that um that part of the work has been um you know my colleague josh brown who's who, who taken the lead in it and i said my okay. work is more psychological his work is more neurological i think i understand enough of the work and we published together but obviously his p was the one uh taking the lead uh, on it so i you know every time Every time I talk about it, I always like want to make sure I pull out and, and make sure I'm using the right words. Because <laughs> I'm not, um, you know. Of course, for for Josh, he would be able to like he's going to be able to talk about it without any notes. But I always have to kind of make sure. So okay, I got it. I picked I picked it up. Um, so so basically, um, what we found um, was that in a study that you know uh, both Josh Brown and I did, um, we had. Uh, psychotherapy clients, clients who are seeking therapy, uh, and we randomly assigned them to either write three letters of gratitude um, or to continue with therapy as, as usual. Bear in mind, both groups were getting therapy for mental health concerns, but one group was writing letters of gratitude. Uh, and three months after therapy began, we took a subset of them and put them through the um, an F- fMRI machine to measure brain activity, you know, um, so you're really being scanned, your brain is being scanned and we're asking lots of questions about what's, uh, you know, to kind of induce gratitude and see what's happening. Um, and again, with just that three months, just three months, um, you, uh, we were able to see um, that the, the, the participants who were assigned to write gratitude letters, they were showing greater um, activity what we call neurosensitivity in this area of the brain called the medial prefrontal cortex. Wow. Medial prefrontal cortex. It's a brain area that's associated with decision making and learning. Um, and so, of course, you know, it's kind of like we want to be careful about, you know, how you make sense of the findings. So we want to be very tentative. Uh-huh. But the tentative um, uh, inference that Josh Brown um, made was that the people who who were um, writing these letters of gratitude, they were, th- th- there were some changes in their brain that were allowing them to become more attentive, more sensitive to experience of gratitude. 
So it's it's almost like how do you become more grateful? How do you become more alert to gratitude? It's very simple. It's you practice gratitude to become more sensitive to gratitude. <laughs> so how do you become a more grateful person? Well, don't sit under a tree and and, and figure it out. You do it. You practice it. Yeah. And then your brain becomes more sensitive, picks it up, you know. And that's an anecdotal evidence. People find that to be the case. They start doing gratitude journaling, and then a couple of weeks later, they're just walking around, you know, and just noticing why is my why do I find I'm picking up things to be grateful for just in general. Like I'm just in my everyday life, I'm just more attentive oh. to to my surroundings and what's good and what's positive. And that's that's again reflecting some of the neurological sensitivity that's taking place. And and as a as a follow up, I'm I'm just thinking is um, my one of my well my pre before I changed my undergrad yeah major I was a bio like a bio psych major yeah um, yeah yeah I I'm going rogue sorry I'm um, gonna go rogue it's fine go rogue. No, what, what I'm what what I was thinking I I wonder if that if that process of that neuro that that neurological not change but. But if but if something happens while someone is actually writing writing letters out, yeah, um, you know, and so something to think about is that you know bring in subjects and have that you know connect them to whatever you do, and then have them write out letters and see if there's yeah. any any chemical changes taking place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I'll add that um, I didn't fully explain you know, kind of the fMRI process, but there were actually two parts of it. One was, you know, uh, one was just seeing the differences between those who wrote letters and those who didn't. Yeah. But another part of the uh, experiments was that, um, you know, uh, while they were in the fMRI machine, um, you know, they were actually asked a bunch of bunch of questions that would stimulate gratitude, right? And again, you find the same thing, you know, you find greater, greater uh, neurosensitivity in the medial prefrontal cortex when that's happening here. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of in the moment. It's not simply yeah. that it's a long-term effect, but in the moment you're seeing, um, you know, greater act activation of brain processes. That's cool. I really liked hearing you say that, how do you get better at being gracious or, you know, thankful, <laughs> right? Is yeah. by practicing it and by doing it, right? <laughs> I remember one of my trainers, uh, she would always say, hey, do you guys know how to get better at doing pull-ups? And, you know, people would just kind of stare at her blankly and she would say, you do more pull-ups. Pull right. <laughs> like, that's how you that's how you do it. So, that's right. like, there's yeah. no quick fix. It's just, you got to practice it, right? So, yeah. um, can you tell us about the science of gratitude interventions that you might use uh, and how they might be applied to the traditional classroom? Sure. Um there have been several ways that um, gratitude interventions have been studied. Um, I'll, I'll just mention the two most common. One is daily uh, gratitude journaling, writing down three things you're grateful for. Um, and that's I, I find that to be sort of the most accessible type of activity. It's not. It's very easy to do. It's not difficult. It's like almost anyone can do it. Um, and so that I, I definitely recommend that. Uh, the second most common um, gratitude activity that's been studied uh, and is shown to be useful is writing a letter of gratitude to someone. And in a way, that gets closer to the original meaning of gratitude. One of the things that worries me a little bit is that some of the original meaning of gratitude has somewhat been lost over time. 
Um, and today, you know, when you ask people, lay people, oh, what does it mean to be grateful? It's almost used as a synonym for gladness. So you could call gratitude, gratitude. So it's like, oh, I'm grateful for the sunshine. I'm grateful for yeah. weather. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, all of that's great. But that's not how gratitude was originally defined. The original definition of gratitude involves some kind of uh, appreciation for a benefactor who has like, an external source who has helped you. And so that gratitude letter writing kind of captures that original meaning where you write to someone and you don't just write it, but you deliver the letter or you read the letter to that person and it builds in a personal connection. You are communicating to the person that they matter to you. Uh, you are focusing on the goodness, not just of your life, but the goodness of another person. And so you're changing even your view of, of the world and of people around you. Uh, and again, it's a very powerful thing. It, it, that requires a bit more effort. People sometimes like, oh, it takes me time to effort to write, but it's a very, very meaningful activity. So that's number two. And then the third, which I'll talk about more later is, um, you know, I've, I, I'm a big believer in, in the interpersonal and social nature of gratitude. So I've been developing groups where people come together and practice gratitude together. And I think they're, they're very powerful elements in this group practice of gratitude, which I can talk about later. That's oh, I, I need to talk about, oh, how it applies to a classroom, right? I didn't explain yes. that. Okay, right. So, um, uh, there, you know, I think for any teacher who is, uh, you know, interested in simple practices or gratitude, um, the two things I just mentioned can be applied, you know, adapted in very simple ways. One is simply getting you know, the class to start start a class with a gratitude induction activity, where you you know you just pose a question and ask uh, the students to think about something you're grateful for. That, um, I have developed a list of 100 prompts to help people think about the generate ideas of what to be grateful for, because I know sometimes people can't like, I don't know. Well, look at, look at the list of hundred prompts, pick one of them, um, and use that to generate ideas. And then you share with either the whole class or with a partner. So that's a useful thing that you can do, or you can also say, Hey, you know, who would like to express gratitude to someone else in this class? So that's more of the interpersonal dimension of gratitude. Uh, you know, another student who has helped you or you really appreciate it. Those are two easy ways that you can apply um, gratitude practices to the classroom. So I, I saw the hundred prompts that you shared with yeah. us right. um, and I'm looking at them right now and they're really nicely organized into culture, um, macro gratitude, redemptive yeah. gratitude, interpersonal. Yeah. yeah. And those are really nice prompts. Um, that we'll certainly share with our listeners to to practice that with their students um, yeah. in their class too, especially now, um, you know, kind of coming out on the other end of COVID and and seeing that lack of like social emotional uh, support and learning that was kind of missing during um, the pandemic and during online learning. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of impacted those kids in a, in a different way. Have you noticed a difference in your work from pre to post COVID? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, a lot of people are um, now working from home much more than before. It's a lot more remote work. And similarly for students, um, even here at Indiana University, we're you know mostly back in person, you know, doing in-person teaching, but there are, um, 
I'm seeing more requests to zoom in. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I want to I want to emphasize that a lot of these requests are very legitimate. When students are sick, um, not feeling well, and you want to come in, uh, want to participate via Zoom, um, but but that remote connection, um, remote teaching, of wanting to participate remote remotely is a little bit more common than before. Um, so. Um, you know, uh, the, the hallways of my office seem to be a little bit more empty compared to pre-pandemic. So a lot of my colleagues are working from home. I don't quite see them as often. Um, and that brings about both bunch of benefits and disadvantages. Um, one thing that I think is lost is a sense of connection and a personal connection. Uh, um, maybe, maybe increase isolation. Um, you, know, you know, I would imagine that's happening in a workplace um, in many different contexts across the world. You know, you were, you know, and that's, yeah. And when I, when I started, I was, I was thinking about, about your research and then what's, what's, what's taking place, yeah. um, you know, because there's, um, uh, one of my, one of my daughters, she's, she's going to be a therapist. She's in her second year of her master's and she's, and she's doing a lot of work in high schools and seeing a lot of kids Yeah, about, about this. So I'm, 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 I'm grateful that there's those, that there's those prompts. And then hopefully there'll be, there'll be teachers who, you know, right before class when they're just taking role and stuff. And, um, and I'm talking more of a high school class, secondary ed that they could just put, you know, put up a simple prompt up, um, up on the board, like one of your, one of your prompts. Yeah. Um, because then hopefully they could, you know, students could start coming to that place where, yeah, there's, there, there, there are a lot of things to be thankful for because, you know, with your, also with your research in suicide, yeah, you know, just wondering if you've, if you thought about those, parallels of of looking at issues of gratitude and suicide uh yeah sure um um it's funny because i you know i've done different areas of research in very divergent areas um and obviously the connections among them although i haven't always had the opportunity to explore all the connections so sure. uh, but clearly they're you know um grateful people are more likely to value find that their lives are of value and therefore are um, less likely to die by suicide. Um, but I want to put out another, another angle here, which is that one of the ways you can reduce the likelihood of, of suicide for someone else, like a loved one, is to express gratitude to them. Mm. So, so, we, so we think of gratitude as well, something to help me feel good about myself, so therefore I have better mental health, therefore I'm less likely to kill myself. But one of the one of the messages that I really want to share with um, the world, with your listeners, is gratitude is not just about feeling good, although it is. It's also about doing good. Not just feeling good, but doing good. So when you express gratitude to another person, you're telling that person that you matter, that you contributed to my life, that you are of value, that you are important to this world, that the world is somehow 
a little bit better because of you. That is a protective factor against suicide because people who die by suicide often feel like they don't matter. Like they don't, like the world is not going to miss them. They're actually better off. Like the world is going to be better off without me. I'm, you know, I'm a burden to this world. Uh, and, and I feel like that expression of gratitude undoes that, that uh, lack of mattering. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. What kind of work are you uh, working on right now or what kind of research? Sure. Um, so lots of projects involving gratitude. I just have uh, uh, what I like is time <laughs> so that I can get, get to them quicker. Yeah. Uh, I'll mention a few. Uh, you know, um, a bunch of colleagues and I are uh, have um, trying to develop a measure of interpersonal gratitude mm. uh, expressions. Sorry. So not just feeling grateful, but expressing gratitude. Yeah. This might be surprising, but we've got lots of measures, scales that measure the experience of gratitude, but not the expression of gratitude to someone else. As I said, it's a very important part. Uh, and I'm trying to see if there's some unique processes about people who express gratitude to someone else, not just someone who feels grateful. Um, we'll, we'll find out. That's that's one project. Uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned earlier that, you know, I've uh, developed some develop some uh, group programs and uh, develop a, a gratitude group program um, that was used to just cultivate gratitude, but I've also used it as a treatment for depression. So we're, we have a study right now uh, that involves using it as a treatment for depression and we're trying to analyze the results. Some of the preliminary findings are, are, are quite promising. Um, uh, we've compared it with some of the uh, uh, well-known treatments for depression have found that effects are fairly equivalent. Uh, and then a third area that um, you know I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about, this is it's going to take a while to come out, but when we often think of gratitude, people, if you look at people's gratitude journaling, it usually focuses on recent or, or current events. You know, like, oh, something happened today or something happened yesterday. I think some of the most powerful experiences of gratitude comes when you're able to take a lifespan perspective, to look back into your past, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you were actually, you know, a child, looking back into your past and, and finding those moments of gratitude. Um, if you can do that consistently, I would argue in a, in, a, in a very strange way, you end up changing your past. <laughs> because wow. you look at your past from a, a different lens, right? where you're looking at it through the lens of grace, redemption, positivity, appreciation, you know, um, and, and somehow your past looks different. So, so one, one example, we're, we're doing very preliminary work yet, so it'll probably take about a year or so before this comes, comes into play. But one thing that I've been very fascinated by is this notion of turning points in your life. We all have turning points in our life where you can say, you know, this event or experience happened and before and after you were different, you were a different person, right? And sometimes you can't tell it's a turning point until many years later and you look back and say, that was a turning point. I couldn't tell then, but my decision to go to grad school or my decision to move to the city changed my life. Turning points can be negative or positive, so, but I'm very I'm fascinated by positive turning points. Those, those turning points in your life that resulted in transformative positive change. 
So I have a hypothesis. I, I can confirm that it's, it's going to be what it is, but I have a hypothesis that if we spend time thinking about reflecting and journaling and writing about these positive turning points in our life. You know, you write three times, three occasions, pick a turning point in your life, you write about it, talk about how it's changed your life, that that's going to increase your gratitude and then thereby it's going to increase uh, your your personal well-being. So that's something we're we're hoping to test in the future. Um, It's more of a lifespan perspective where you look back into your past, not just what's happening today or yesterday. You know, you, you bring up something that I've been trying to work through. Um, yeah, personally, you know, and, and there's, you know, and there's, and there's people from my past that are, that are now gone, um, yeah. that I never had that opportunity to go on back and say, thank you, yeah. for, you know, everything that you did, or, or at least for the, like, for when I was going through my, for my master's, there was a professor that called me in, you know, into his office. And I thought that I was busted for something. but 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 he was like you know you should go on you know you really need to go on and and i don't know if i like now thinking back if i wanted to strangle him or or say you know what thank you but i'm just i'm just wondering for you know writing out expressions of gratitude for people that that are that are no longer here yeah have you been looking at that or is that a question or you know what what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's such an interesting and fascinating area. Um, I don't know of any research on that, but I have read about uh, a therapy intervention that uses that process. Um, so it's not been researched, but it's been practiced. So, you know, in a, in a very dramatic way, um, if I were a therapist and you were my client, you know, Brad, what, what I might do is, you know, have you maybe write a letter of gratitude and then in a therapy session, you you kind of read it, it's like metaphorically to an empty chair. You know, imagine that a person is there, and you read it to that person, um, so so that you know, yeah, you know, the person can can be isn't really physically there to receive that gratitude, but it's your way of of like finishing up some unfinished business of saying, you know, I want to bring closure because I recognize I want to put, I want to have a marker of these important turning points in my life. I want to be able to have a symbol, um, a very tangible expression that I acknowledge these turning points. Yeah. I think that's a, I think we need to celebrate. We need to do more to celebrate these important uh, moments in our lives in the past and not just let them go. You know, they're, they're, they're big. Yeah, I as you're talking, I'm just reflecting on my own experiences, right? <laughs> oh like I'm just doing this feels yeah. like a therapy yeah. session for me. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and I am I'm like remembering just very key people who impacted my life, who set me in the right direction to have the things that I have today and to achieve the things I've achieved today and um, yeah. I also, so my my part-time gig is the Air Force uh, Reserve, yeah. and my uh, I remember a um, a commander who was taking, you know, a new position, and she was going back and reflecting and thanking very specific people, um, and, and, and then also, like, broad people in jobs to enable, 
you know, her to be where she is today or in that moment. And that really stood out to me too, as just being, um, just like a humble achievement that, you know, she was recognizing that she just didn't get there on her own. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, and so this is, I think these are really good examples of way, like applicable ways for people to put these things into practice. And I also appreciate the connection to um, depression and, and people who might be considering suicide because obviously, you know, we want to try to eliminate that as much as possible or, you know, support people who are feeling, um, you know, undervalued. But yeah, so I mean, there's just so much. I, I'm loving this right now. But can you tell us, so you you mentioned it, I think, in one of your other um, responses, but you're, you have a six-week group program yes. to help people cultivate gratitude. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about what that is? Yeah. So I, I know the, I've now developed two versions of it. <laughs> so the traditional version is uh, uh, one and a half hours, six weeks in a, in a group. And it's about, you know, you, you hang out with uh, eight people together. There are two group facilitators and we have a curriculum. <laughs> so you get notes, you know. Uh, so it's I, I call this psychoeducational in, in the sense that, you know, you're learning about gratitude. You're practicing lots of activities. You've got tips. You've got structured activities. Um, but it it's, uh, also involves a lot of sharing, a lot of group sharing. So, you know, it's not just like a classroom where you take, you know, you take notes. There's a lot of interpersonal sharing. Um, and so what, what happens is that we focus on a different facet of gratitude every week. So like the first week could be what I call micro gratitude, where you, you try to pay attention to the simple pleasures in life, little, little things. Um, there's another week that focuses on interpersonal gratitude, and that's where you do the letter, you write the letter of gratitude, um, then you read, you write, and then you try to read it to someone or, or mail it to someone. There's redemptive gratitude where you think back of like stressful, painful experiences in the past, and you say, you know, in what ways can I be grateful for the outcomes of some of these painful experiences, and so forth. Um, so I find that. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, well, the way to become more grateful is to practice gratitude, right? But I recognize it's simpler than done. It's like, you just, it's not as easy as just telling but uh, just do it, right? Because they're like, well, how do I do it? So the, the whole point of this group program is it provides a little bit of structure, some activities, some tips, some strategies to help you do it. And it's so much easier to do it in a group context together with others, where you're sort of mutually pushing each other, nudging each other, right? Um, the other elements of the group that's meaningful is that every session there's opportunities to express gratitude to each other. Um, and I find that's very important because, as I mentioned before, that interpersonal dimension of gratitude is very important and it's part of the original meaning of gratitude. So you want to give people a chance to say, you know, you, you said something that was very, very, very meaningful and it really touched me and moved me. I just wanted you to know that. And again, you're communicating to the person that you matter. You, you didn't just come to this group and learn. In some way, you made my life better. Yeah. So that's the uh, original version. I also developed a, what I call a lighter version of that. That's only one hour a week and doesn't have a curriculum. It's more it has a looser structure where people, I call it a gratitude support group. So no curriculum, but they come together and every week um, they share about things that they're grateful for. Um, and again, there is, there's a sort of a theme every week that you can talk about. 
Uh, and my hope is that this lighter version can be facilitated by lay people and it's much more accessible. Um, we've done it through Zoom. So the goal is to make this, I, I modeled this after the AA program, Alcohols Anonymous, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, something that is very open, very accessible, free, and um, non-stigmatizing and not too burdensome, you know, for people to participate in. You know, you, you were, and, and, and with that, I could, I could see a lot of classroom uses yeah, or yeah. or something like like that, sure. um, or or even just a something for like an after school club where where you know students could come on in and you know they could they could do something like that. That that sounds wonderful. Um, but you were also talking about your that you were um, studying men, men yeah. masculinity. Can you? Can you share about about that? Because that's that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. Um, that's actually uh, been a major area of my research yeah. uh, before I started becoming more and more involved in gratitude research. I, I still am involved in this work. Um, it, it's a fascinating area of work because very often when we think of gender, right, when we study of gender, it's like, oh, well, we study women, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, it's, I, I think we need to study both women and men. Um, and so uh, you might wonder, like, what's a typical study that people uh, focus on? Well, uh, several of us study um, how masculine norms and ideologies affect men. Uh, it's including ways that are not positive, you know? So you think of it as um, norms and ideologies that tell men what they should or should not do. And one way we think about it is that it constrains men's full humanity, right? Because, and so sometimes for not all men, but some men often feel a need to be able to prove, to prove that they're men enough. Right? And, and so it restricts what they can and cannot do. Like, let me just give you a very practical example. Um, some of my early work focuses on emotional expression and for men, you know, being emotional, tearing up, crying, uh, is, is traditionally been seen, been, been seen as unmanly. Uh, uh, and so that's a masculine norm. Uh, and that's kind of a bit ironic because, um, you know, if you, if you, ask many women, they, they would say that they find it to be, you know, they're, they're appreciative of men who are uh, in touch with their feelings and expressive, ex, uh, expressive of their feelings. Um, but again, so you have a masculine norm that's out there and it, it's not necessarily beneficial to men. Um, so, so that's been sort of some of the fascinating areas of uh, work that I've done. Also, uh, one other study that I, I did uh, fairly recently was just looking at men's perceptions in the U.S. of what do you think are the most prominent masculine norms in the U.S. society? Like, what are the things that men should or should not do? And we, you know, we ask very open-ended questions like, in the U.S., men should or should not, and they can write anything they like. And, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. So it's very, it's very open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we sort of used and we code what they write 
to to uh, to understand like what are the norms that you feel um, constrain or or, or um, put put a boundaries of what you can and cannot do. So a bunch of them are fairly uh, uh, with commonsensical and what you would expect. Um, you know, like men should restrict their emotions. Uh, men should be a provider. Uh, one of the very consistent theme is that men should not be feminine. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a concern. So acting in a way that makes you look like a woman. I mean, think about it. One of the greatest insults that a man can experience, can experience is that you're a sissy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's you know, that's an insult. Uh, but again, you see this anti-femininity yeah. injunction that's, uh, that's there. And in my view, not very healthy. So do you correlate that work with uh, cultural backgrounds? Like, so you, I mean, you mentioned that you're doing it with men in the United States, but that is, there's a huge demographic, right? Of background and cultural norms um, that are associated with um, what is considered um, traditional masculine qualities. Do you, do you make those um, distinctions? Yeah, I've, I've also done some work um with uh people from diverse cultures uh, so i you know kind of that open-ended approach where i've asked questions i've done the same work um several years ago when i was uh in sabbatical uh in singapore um and so it's fascinating to to make some comparisons between the findings of the two uh what was done in the u.s and what was done in singapore um we have to be cautious about the comparison because the one the study i did in singapore was among college students only, and um, we included both women and men, so female and male college students, whereas the study in the US was just solely a male sample, and it was, a, it was not confined to college students. But overall, it, it, what was surprising was that it was more similar than they were different uh, in terms of uh, identification of masculine norms. You see the same thing, you know, men should not be feminine it's coming out a very big theme men should not be overly emotional there are some some slight differences um you, you would see uh for example that in the in in the u.s uh there's a greater emphasis of masculinities with uh being connected to uh sports and physicality that's much more the case uh, than say in many other Asian countries where um, that is, it's not to say it's not important, but it's less emphasized. And being a provider of the family is 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 kind of much more central. Of course, it's also there in the U.S. So it's it's an issue of relative emphasis. So so being a provider, if you're like if you're for example a stay-at-home dad, you know that would be seen as very very stigmatizing. Uh, sort of interesting context. So, so that's somewhat of the uh, somewhat somewhat of a difference. Another study that I saw uh, found that men being a man is associated with honor, like being an honorable person. Mm-hmm. Integrity is a moral dimension in, in uh, Asian countries, much more so than in the U.S., which has some positive elements, and it could sometimes be a problem too uh, when you feel like you have not lived up to your your standard self morality of honor and sometimes that becomes a uh, uh, precipitating factor for suicide. You know, and, and I'm also thinking, Joel, um, 
I, and you know, I'm just throwing throwing stuff out there just with regards to research. Yeah. It would be it, it would be interesting to, to to find out issues of masculinity in in cultures where where there's more than two genders. Yeah. You know, where, where there's, um, you know, where femininity is just a norm. Yeah. You know, just to you know, just or 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 else too, if there's a if there's a different um, you know, if it's, if it's based on faith that it's, or, you know, yeah, something yeah. in, in those, in those lines, have you, have you found the, have you found differences also with regards to gratitude or, or is that, is, 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 is that something in which you, in which, which you're looking at cultures yeah. and, you yeah. know, cultures and gratitude? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not an area of work I've done yet, but I, I'm aware of some of the differences that have emerged. Um, two things I'll mention is that um, in, for example, in Japanese culture, uh, one of the ways that you express gratitude is to apologize. Oh, there's <laughs> lots and lots of apology. That's the way you express gratitude. So, you know, if like someone gives you a gift, say, oh, I'm so sorry to trouble you. And it's, it's really a way of saying thank you. Interesting. Uh, and of course you get some, you get some cultural misunderstandings because you have you you know you work with someone who's Japanese here in the U.S. Then it's like why do you keep apologizing? Don't apologize. Don't be sorry. You know it's like it's not a big deal. And it's like we're they're not quite saying that they've done something wrong. They're really expressing gratitude mm. to you. Um, so so that's a that's an interesting thing. The second thing uh, uh, that comes out is that gratitude expressions often come about through acts of service or gifts. Uh, uh, much more than verbal expressions. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like words are cheap. Yeah, you can't say anything you like that. So what's a big deal? But it's the presence that you, you buy for someone or, you know, you do gifts or you, uh, you know, you, you perform uh, acts of service for someone. And that's a way you express gratitude. So um, I, I think um, that's, and I feel like there are lessons that can be learned both ways. You know, I, you know, I feel like in Asian cultures, you know, I think there's there's room for, for folks to experiment with more verbal expressions of gratitude. Right? And here um, in the West, I think there's opportunities to learn sort of more um, behavioral expressions of gratitude uh, that can be very meaningful. I like that. Can I just go back very quickly? I know we we're talking earlier. We we're talking about masculinities. I, I just I, one more thing I wanted to say, which um, uh, it, it, which I, I want to make sure it's not left out, um, and that's when we talk about men um, from diverse cultures. And so, for example, in the U.S., uh, the study of men and masculinities isn't just about oh, what are some cultural differences in the way you express masculinities. Uh, but uh, a lot of researchers, including myself, have, have studied how masculinities uh, involve a hierarchy where there are experiences of oppression that comes up. You know, so we uh, one one area of work that we've done in the past uh, is this notion of gendered racism. So you find that the stereotypes um, and the mistreatment of certain uh, racial minority groups differs between men and women. I, I'll give you one very practical example. Stereotypes about African-American men 
overlap in some ways with stereotypes of American American women, but they're also different in some ways. They're unique features um, that are that are there that are so we call that gender racism. The same for Asian American men. There are stereotypes for Asian American men that are different from stereotypes for Asian American women. Um, not to say they're worse or they're better, but they they're unique elements there. Um, and so we we, term, we use this term gender racism to explain some of the unique um, experiences of oppression. I think that's an important um, area of work um, in, in research on minority populations. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot here, so I really appreciate you sharing it all with us today and um, just giving us a little taste of it. And I'm actually kind of excited to go in and look at some of your work that you've written and published. Um, so we really appreciate your time today. But as we wrap this up, we like to ask our guests what their yeah. call to action is. So this would be the one thing that you would wish to leave our guests with um, as a takeaway from you. So what is your call to action? Yeah, I've uh, been thinking about that all of yesterday and today. <laughs> I'm going to return to the theme of gratitude. Um, you know, here's something I'm trying to practice intentionally in my life. And here's my sort of um, call to action to, to all your listeners and to the rest of the world. Like, if you want to be more grateful, how do you tell if someone is grateful or not I, I think you can ask one question and it's i call this a secret sauce of gratitude um, and, and and the question i'll ask is this do you think that your life has been unfair to you <laughs> or fair to you or exceedingly generous to you right so if you had to, if you had three options, what would you choose? And based on your answer to that one question, I would be able to make a strong prediction of how grateful you are. Um, it, it, no surprises which of the three options would uh, predict gratitude. But before I get to that, people who who feel like life has been unfair to them, um, there's a term that's been used, and they have a sense of deprivation. It's like I've been cheated out of life, you know. It's like I haven't gotten what I deserve. I feel like I've gotten the short end of the stick. If you ever have people talk like that, often it's a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentments, a lot of like, I, how, how dare you miss, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot of uh, um, frustration in life. These are people who are going to be unhappy in life, uh, less, least likely to be grateful. A lot of people I think will fall into the second category where he says, life has been fair to me. You know, I've pretty much gotten what I think I expect to get or what I deserve to get. I think you'd be fine. But I think there's a smaller subset of people who not only say, not, not only that life has been fair to me, but life has been you know, overly generous to me. I've actually gotten more than I expected. I've been pleasantly surprised. I have been uniquely blessed or lucky or fortunate. I view like life has been a gift to me. It's been a bonus to me. I have gotten more than I deserve. Now that sounds a little strange, but it sounds a bit like you are being humble or too humble or you have low self-esteem. I submit that's the secret sauce of gratitude. People who have this sense of awe and wonder about their lives. 
It's like, wow, my gosh, actually, I actually lucked out. I can't believe that this good thing happened to me. These are the people who will be top scorers in gratitude. These are the people who will be the happiest, most content, and live the most fulfilling lives. And I want to submit that that's not simply a function of your objective circumstances. Of course, your circumstances play a role. But I know of a lot of rich and successful, objectively successful people who are very bitter and unhappy with their lives. Mm-hmm. We don't have to look very far for examples. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about your circumstances. It is about the mindsets that we take in how we view our lives. And so if you want to develop this mindset, which I call the abundance mindset, of believing that life has been overly generous to you, how do you develop that? <laughs> well, Every day I ask myself this question, in what ways have I been uniquely blessed, lucky, or fortunate? In what ways have I experienced pleasant surprises? <laughs> in what way have I experienced grace from others, meaning favors that I didn't deserve and it just came by my way? In what ways have others been kind to me in ways that I just didn't expect? All right. In what ways have I um, been successful despite maybe not quite uh, my abilities, <laughs> just, you know, perhaps of average abilities and, and have achieved success that I, I never quite expected. Asking those questions on a daily basis has helped me and in helping me to cultivate this uh, abundance mindset, which I, I, I've come to believe is the secret sauce of gratitude. I love it. That's, That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Joel, thank you for sharing today. Thank you for sharing your work. Um, and these this six-week group that you have, is that open? Is that a virtual thing or is that like an in-person thing? Is that open to people to join if they wanted to? Yeah. So the um, yes, it is. The, uh, the, the, the more intense version, the psychoeducational version is, is in-person. Mm-hmm. But the support group version is, is done over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, um, we actually, uh, at Indiana university, we actually just, um, the past week wrapped up a bunch of these, uh, support groups. I hope to keep running them. And so, you know, anyone who has an interest in them should contact me mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, next semester there'll be opportunities where I run these groups. We offer them for free, um, and it'll be done over zoom. And your best contact is your email. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you. And thank you for all your work in, in the area of gratitude. It's making an impact. Oh, thank you, Fred and Maria. I appreciate your, your uh, giving me a chance to share.